Well, good morning, Springbrook. It is so good to be with you on this holiday weekend. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We are expectant of the Lord to move in mighty ways this morning, so we're glad that you could be with us and be a part of what God has this morning. If you're joining us online, I want to remind you, as always, we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to answer your questions. We want you to feel connected to what God is doing in this community, no matter where you are this weekend. So please engage in the chat. Make a profile if you haven't so that we know you are here. And again, use that request prayer button if you want to go into a private chat with one of our hosts and have them pray with you and for you. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand in body or in spirit for our call to worship today, which is Psalm 146. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. We can rest this morning knowing that our God is reigning, that our God is seated on the throne. He is our only king forever. Let's worship together this morning.
King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are
have an opportunity to come together to celebrate um, communion together this morning. And it's a privilege for us to be able to do that. If you have ever called Springbrook uh, Church, uh, Shannon Miller would have answered the phone and greeted you. And um, we had a funeral service yesterday for Shannon's father-in-law, her husband's Mike. Uh, her, his, her mother, his mother went to uh, be with the Lord. And during the uh, funeral service, it was a beautiful service. We talked about Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything. And we looked at John 14 and we talked about the reality of heaven, the reality of where our hope is. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, when he lifted up his breath, the earth shook, the temple curtain was torn open, and we, had, we were given access to a living God that loves us and wants a relationship with us. And that kingdom that God has ushered in, that Jesus specifically has ushered in, is an unshakable kingdom. And we have an unshakable faith, and we serve a God that is in control and sovereign. And it's something for us to be able to celebrate. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We come together this morning secure in the knowledge that Jesus' promises are true. We can celebrate the reality that when we stand before him in heaven, that we're going to uh, have that assurance because of who we are in Christ. You know, heaven is real. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know heaven is real. We know that he's going to come back and he's, he's prepared a place for us that when, when he comes back, we're going to get to be with him. And we know that salvation is real, that through our faith in Christ, we have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. And so as we come together to take communion this morning, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to remember the hope that we have in Christ. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate that together. It's also an opportunity for us to evaluate our own lives, that God would remove those areas that are hindering us, that are holding us back. As Hebrews talks about, those things that entangle us and hold us back, we want to shed those. And so it's also an opportunity for us to evaluate our lives as we come before a holy God to celebrate the reality of our faith. We're going to invite you to come forward and take communion in just a moment. You can take two of the elements. You can take those uh, back to your seat, and you can take communion as the Lord leads you um, during this next song. And if you're unable to come to the front and you'd like uh, someone to bring communion to you, uh, simply raise your hand, and they will do that this morning. But if you have questions about our relationship with Christ or you want to know more about the meaningfulness of communion, we would encourage you uh, to please let us know that we can help you find the answers uh, that you're looking for with regard to fully understanding what it means to embrace and enjoy the uh, relationship with Christ.
now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer, that is our proclamation, that is our word of confession and praise. That you crushed your son, the one whom you loved, on our behalf. And there are not enough words, there are not enough good deeds for us to say thank you. So we bring today what we know how, to the best of our ability, we bring ourselves, we bring our hearts. Bring our words of praise. Holy Spirit, we know you're in this place. We know you are moving and working and speaking. So will you give us eyes to see you as you move this morning? Will you give us ears to hear what you are speaking to us through your word? Because we know you have something to say. Will you give us hearts that are tender and open to receive what you have? We're expectant of you to move, and we just want to be awake for it, attuned to you as you move and work and speak and press in in this place. We surrender our agendas. We surrender this next hour to you, giving you our full affection and our full attention because you are worthy of that so much more. And so we pray all of these things in the name that is above every name, in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. 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 We're so glad that you are with us this morning. You've got a connection card that's there on your chair, and so if you could uh, take a moment to just get that out and Put your first and last name on there. Uh, the names of any adults that are with you would love to know that you were with us. Um, we have a lot of people traveling this summer. It's been encouraging to be able to stay connected with uh, people that are traveling online or on vacation. And uh, we'd just love the opportunity to know that you were here with us this morning. If you are visiting, uh, there's a place for you to put as much of the contact information that you'd like to share with us or you're comfortable sharing. We'd love to know that you were with us as well. If you are visiting with us for the first time, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you are with us um, today. Hey, we have had over over 40 people now sign up for our YouVersion Bible app um, on Springbrook Church. Springbrook Church is now on YouVersion, and I know over 40 people have followed there. Every week, um, we're putting up a featured Bible reading plan to kind of guide us for the upcoming week. Uh, in fact, this week, we're looking at uh, a Bible reading plan on the fact that our faith is unshakable, that the kingdom of God is unshakable. And what does that mean to us? And so if you have not signed up yet for that, I'd encourage you to do that, or you can scan that QR code. Uh, it's on the screen there, and the, whatever device you're using, it'll pop right up for you. Uh, it's a great place to uh, follow along and encourage one another as well. Um, they're still working out some of the kinks uh, for the version, and so um, we're supposed to be able to read plans together, and so that part has not quite come together yet, and so if you'll friend me <laughs> or, or just shoot me a note, let me know if you want to read together. I can add you to the reading plan. It's been encouraging to see how many people are reading together and then sharing notes together. 
And so if you want to know more about that, uh, just visit our website, springbrook.org slash uversion. And then also, I just wanted to let you know, we have, uh, uh, we, we work hard on maintaining our facilities. This building is now uh, almost 16, 17 years old, and so the honeymoon is over. And so we are intentional about preventive maintenance and taking care of and being good stewards uh, with the facility that God's entrusted to our care. Uh, we had a number of people come through voting last weekend. This facility has so much usage during the week, and so it's a blessing for us to be able to use it on Sunday, but it's also exciting to see uh, how we're able to utilize uh, this facility during the week as well. And so God has entrusted us with the facility. We love it. It's air-conditioned during the summer, and praise for that, and it's heated during the winter, so we're excited about that as well. Uh, but the air handling system that we use, uh, the shelf life on that has expired, and then we have to make a significant investment uh, in the controllers for our HVAC units. And so uh, we're going to be spending $70,000 that was not in our budget this year. Uh, anytime we spend over $25,000, uh, we need to get congregational affirmation for that. So our elder board uh, has affirmed that decision. We just need the congregational affirmation as well. So we're going to be hosting a special meeting uh, here at Springbrook at 1230 after the second service on uh, July 19th. And so we're just going to meet right across the room. I'll give you a quick update on our HVAC system, answer any questions that you might have. Uh, but I would encourage you that if you're not able to be with us, or if you do have questions about uh, that expense or um, our finances, visit uh, springbrook.org slash HVAC. Uh, all the information that you'll need to understand what we're working on uh, is there as well. In fact, if you have not downloaded our app, everything Springbrook is on that app. Um, we've got a lot of events coming up. I know the seniors are going to be meeting. We've got a lot of exciting things that are happening as we move through the summer. And so if you have not downloaded our app, or if you don't check that routinely, we put our weekly updates up there, I'd encourage you to uh, download our app and engage with that. And so, But if you have any questions, uh, please uh, let us know. Uh, Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment, but I want to thank you for being with us this morning. morning. As we've just been reminded, a lot of people are uh, traveling through the summer. Maybe uh, you have recently returned from a trip, or, or, or maybe you're getting ready to go on one in coming days. Uh, many of you know that, uh, that, that I travel probably more than most uh, as uh, I'm engaged in uh, a ministry of, of training pastors in various places around the world. And so um, I have had the privilege of, of traveling to many different places, uh, although I'm constantly reminded that since there are officially about 195 countries in the world, that really I haven't been to that many of them. Uh, in fact, I think on latest count, I'm up to about 22. Um, you could argue that I've actually been closer to 35 different countries, but see, th there's a whole bunch that I don't count. And the reason that I don't count them is because those are the countries where I've had uh, connecting flights. And, and, and I've never actually stepped foot outside of the airport. I think it's not really legitimate to say I've been to a place. So this coming Friday, I'm heading to Tanzania. I'm connecting in a place called Addis Ababa. Those of you who are good at your geography know that's the capital of Ethiopia. 
but I've never been to Ethiopia, and I, I, and I can't claim after this week that I've seen Ethiopia because I'll have just seen the inside of the airport. It's kind of like if you were to get in the car and you traveled out to Yellowstone National Park, and, and you take that long drive there, and, and you arrive, and just as you arrive, you see the Welcome to Yellowstone sign. But you don't go in, and you don't um, walk the trails, and you don't go and see Old Faithful. You really can't say that you've been to Yellowstone if you've just seen the sign. Or, or when everybody is raving about that brand new restaurant that has just opened on the other side of town, and so you get in the car, you drive over there, you find a parking space, you get out, you go, you look through the window but you don't go in. You do not have the right to tell people that you know all about that restaurant. Because what we do when we arrive really matters. What we do when we arrive really matters. And we've been talking in recent weeks as we have spent, I think, the last eight weeks so far traveling through this uh, series on the book of Hebrews that we're calling the journey of faith. We've been talking about the supremacy of Christ. In fact, the biblical author uh, speaks about the fact that Jesus is, is greater than all. And he speaks in particular to an audience to a group of people who were most likely from a Jewish background who had now encountered the gospel message all about Jesus Christ. Many of them had believed. And even though they were struggling, even though they were wrestling in the face of opposition and persecution and, and wondering if they can keep on going, he writes to them to encourage them to hold fast. But there were some amongst them, there were some amongst them who had experienced something. They'd heard the message. They'd even participated to a certain degree in some of the activities that the church was engaged in. But in a very real sense, they had never done more than gaze through the window at that restaurant. They'd never gone any further than the welcome sign. They'd never step foot out of the arrivals hall. And as we continue our series this morning, we find ourselves in Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're picking up from where we left off last week, which brings us to Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 18. I want to invite you to grab your copy of the Scriptures and open with me there, because what we're going to find together is such an important word from the Lord, but I, I need to tell you it's it's a challenging one. And whether today you find yourself in a place where, if you're really honest, you're still kind of looking in through the window, but have never stepped inside. Or whether you find yourself in a place where you've been a follower of Jesus, perhaps for many years, but you still struggle to hold on to a right perspective in the midst of the busyness and the chaos and the, and the pressures of this journey of faith. Then God's Word 
has a message for each of us today. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, we read these words. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg for no further messages to be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Well, that's straightforward, isn't it? There's a lot in there. It's kind of what's going on. Well, what he wants us to understand is first and foremost that we must be careful. There's a warning presented here. Don't refuse God's warning. Don't refuse God's warning. He, he starts here, he actually draws this comparison, this, this uh, uh, um, a contrast between these two mountains. Mount Sinai representing the old covenant and Mount Zion representing the, the new covenant. And in fact, all through this series, through the book of Hebrews, uh, you may have noticed this. He loves to use these arguments which move from lesser to greater. And so he points first to Mount Sinai and the events that are recorded in particular in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. And he refers to that and he talks about that as being a great demonstration of the revelation of God to his people as he called his people Israel into a covenant relationship with himself. But then he goes on to contrast that with a greater revelation, with with the greater new covenant that is even better. But what we see first is that the old covenant, this Mount Sinai, is described as a place of terror. He says, you have not come to what may be touched. He's referring to this physical mountain, this this Mount Sinai, where the people of Israel gathered after coming out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. They gathered there, and this is where God gave the people the Ten Commandments. But if you'll remember in Exodus chapter 19, as they're preparing for this, God instructs Moses to instruct the people. And and he tells them, set a perimeter around this. Because nobody can even touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they are to be instantly killed. And, And they set this perimeter. And then on the day of the covenant being made, God, in a sense, 
descended upon the mountain and the language there. It's terrible. Dark clouds and lightning and roaring thunder. And the whole place shook. And as it's described here, there was the sound of trumpets, a great tempest. And when God spoke, the people begged him to stop. In fact, they sent Moses up and said, you go talk to him because we don't want to hear it anymore. So fearful was the voice of this holy God. And even Moses, as we're reminded here, trembled with fear. Now, don't get me wrong. The biblical author has made very clear uh, throughout Hebrews so far that the Old Covenant was good. The Old Covenant, which was based on the law, was a beautiful thing. It was a gift given to God's people, even though it was to point them to a greater and better covenant, which is to come through Christ. And so even though it, it was established in this fearful, terrible manner, it was because God in His mercy and grace was introducing His people to the fullness of His holiness and to the seriousness of a relationship with Him. As we'll see in just a few moments, ours is a God that we do not trifle with. But notice, whereas in verse 18 it says, For you have not come to what may be touched. He's pointing back to this picture from the Old Testament. He's pointing back to that old covenant. And he's reminding them, hey, listen, that's not the mountain we've traveled to. That's not the place that we're going back to. That if, if you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and responded to it by faith, that's not where you are. You have been brought to a different mountain, to a different place. Because, you see, Mount Sinai representing the Old Covenant, but Mount Zion represents the New. And here, Mount Zion depicts the New Covenant that Christ has opened to those who come to Him by faith and where the Old Covenant brought people to see God from distance. Come so far, but no closer. So the new covenant, the new covenant brings people into the very presence of this God because they access not based on their own merit, but based on the merit of Christ. And so it says here, in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. And it describes it in a series of ways. It says, uh, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood. I don't usually use alliteration and try to get everything starting together. I just happen to end up with a bunch of P's today. So, uh, um, uh, 
But the way that he depicts this is interesting because, because he points the fact that through Christ, through this new covenant, those who come to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive a welcome into the presence of God, the, the city of the living God. And this isn't talking about the earthly Jerusalem. This is kind of a contrast between the earthly that is depicted by the old covenant, Mount Sinai, and the heavenly depicted by the new covenant. He says that we get to be a part of the presence of God. We get to dwell in the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, with God himself. We get to participate along with innumerable angels. And I love this, in festal gathering. What does that mean? They're partying! Sorry, some of us don't party. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... um, Uh, You get to be a part of a heavenly party, a heavenly celebration. But here's the good news. I promise you won't be complaining and asking them to turn the music down, okay? Just just so you know. But there's a sense of participation, even with the angels of the splendor of heaven. Uh, We we are brought into the people of God. It It refers here to the assembly of the firstborn. And I love this word, enrolled in heaven. Enrolled in heaven. Our oldest just graduated high school. It's going to be starting college in the fall. And just this past week, we were doing some enrollment stuff for classes. What do we do? Is it getting signed up for those in order to participate in that? Well, we have been enrolled through Christ into the citizenship of heaven part of the people of God. More than that, it describes the fact that we have come to the judge of all. But, but here's the difference. We get to stand before the judge as those who are already pardoned because of what Christ has done. That's what we've just celebrated. It's what we've just sung about. Thank you, Jesus. We come to a place of Perfection. In fact, this word perfect, when we read it within these kinds of contexts within the New Testament, speaks to our completeness. That is, that the work of being conformed into the likeness of Jesus will be complete when we stand in His presence, glorified, free from the stain of sin, made like Him, and we get to be there complete in Christ along with all believers throughout all ages. This is what in theology we call the now but not yet of the Christian life. Because all of this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, all of this is already true of you. But we continue to look forward to the final consummation of it where we experience in its fullness the reality of this for all eternity at the return of Christ. So the biblical author is reminding them here in a sense of the destination to which they have been traveling. You've been on this journey of faith and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought you to a destination. It's not brought you to this place of terror. It has brought you to this place of splendor and glory. Support you 
to Jesus, the mediator, whereas Moses was the mediator in a sense of the old covenant. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. It says it's sprinkled with his blood. And then there's this strange phrase that says that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, when you're reading the book of Hebrews, it really helps if you have a pretty good knowledge of the Old Testament. Some of you may be familiar with the name Abel, perhaps others not so much. But Abel was a guy who uh, had a brother by the name of Cain. We find them way back at the beginning of the Bible, in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In fact, they were uh, the sons of Adam and Eve. But here's the problem. After the fall, after, after Adam and Eve despised and rejected the command of God and sin entered the world, They had these sons, and very quickly, just as sin always does, things spiraled because Cain ends up killing his own brother, Abel. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 4, after he has killed him, God says to, to, to Cain, he says, the blood of your brother Abel cries out against you. And so the blood of Abel was a cry for judgment and justice. Oh. But here the author is comparing it to the blood of Christ, which is a cry for pardon and mercy. So again, the call here is having, having heard the gospel, you've been brought to, you've been ushered to the welcome sign, to the arrivals hall, of this splendid place. And then comes this warning in verse 25. We may be a little confused at first when we read in this passage and think, yes, so what do these two mountains really have to do with anything? But then when we get to this warning, it will make sense. Because he says, see then, see that you do not refuse him. Now, it's interesting, a few verses earlier where Pastor Rich was preaching last week in chapter 12, in chapter 12, verse 15, we saw another warning. There, it it, it used similar words. It said, uh, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. In other words, see to it that nobody misses out on this grace that is available. Well, now, in even firmer words this warning is given see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven so we have this picture here this warning here Presented by these two, if we look back to the Old Testament there, they had this opportunity. They heard the voice of God. They saw the powerful presence of God. They received the law of God. They were brought into a covenant with God. And yet, the whole Old Testament is about how time and time and time again they rejected. And it was a terrible thing, a serious thing to reject the voice of a holy God. How much more so now? 
F.F. Bruce, a wonderful theologian from a previous generation, says the consequences of despising the gospel are more dreadful than the consequences of despising the law. Sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes we get into this way of thinking, which is false. The, the God of the Old Testament is kind of a grumpy, terrifying God, but oh, the God of the New Testament is different. No, one and the same God. First of all, He's not grumpy and terrifying. He's full of grace and mercy in the Old Testament, and He's full of grace and mercy in the New Testament, but He is also holy in the Old Testament and holy in the New Testament. And if they had the lesser revelation at Sinai and there was a deserved judgment when they refused it, how much more would the judgment be if we reject the greater revelation through Christ? That's what the author of Hebrews is laying out here. That's what he, that is the warning that he is giving. So what do we do with this? Well, having, having heard the gospel, having heard the gospel and the invitation that it gives, don't walk away from it without doing nothing. Don't show up at the restaurant and just look through the window. Don't stay in the arrivals hall. Don't just come to the welcome sign and say, that's close enough, because it's not. There are some of us who are comfortable getting just close enough to God to feel like we're sort of doing enough. But if we're brutally honest with ourselves, We've never really acknowledged before Him the fact that we have nothing to bring, that He is God, that we are not, that He is the King, and that we are the servant. And that means that, that we need to humble ourselves, that we need to submit ourselves to Him. And that when He says that we need saving, then when He says that we need forgiving, when He says that, that there is no way apart from through Jesus Christ to come to Him, not your good works, not your own effort, not your credentials, none of that stuff. Not your family lineage. Not that you were baptized when you were an infant. Through Jesus only. That we need to say, God, I believe you. I take you at your word. And I am not going to refuse the voice the invitation that you have made. Jesus invites whosoever will may come. Trust Him, the one who has paid your debt, the one who loves you so much that He laid down His life for your sin and for mine so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be a part of that festal gathering that people of God to participate in that heavenly Jerusalem for all eternity, but even more than that, to know the joy and the peace that comes 
from having this wonderful God as your Savior even today. But he's still not done. You see, I mentioned earlier that this passage kind of addresses both groups. There's that group who, who have never stepped out of the arrivals hall. They've taken the journey, but they've never considered that what we do when we arrive makes all the difference. But then there's also the other group, the group who have said, yes, Lord, I need you. I believe in you, Jesus. I surrender all to you. And as best as I know how, I want to follow you all of the days of my life. But we know. That doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that, that it's smooth sailing from there. And so he goes on to remind us of a right perspective, which is what the last few verses of this chapter deal with. And just as the warning before was, don't refuse God's warning. So now we see, don't build your life on things that won't last. But instead, live in light of the unshakable kingdom that we are receiving. And so, look at this, verse 26 through 29. At that time, so again, pointing back to the the Old Testament, pointing back to Sinai. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, offering acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We'll talk more about the end of that in just a moment. But what is all this about this shaking? Well, God's glorious presence back there on Mount Sinai, back in the book of Exodus, literally shook the earth. There was an earthquake. Everything trembled before His presence. But here we are reminded, and he actually quotes from the Old Testament book of Haggai, chapter 2 and verse 6, where it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And here the author of Hebrews is pointing back to this prophecy and is reminding us of the fact that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, keep the right perspective. Because while the ground shook back then in Exodus, there is coming a shaking again. Now, this once more that he refers to is not a, uh, a kind of a repeated activity. Uh, this, this once more is speaking of something of, of finality. It will be one time, and it will completely accomplish everything that God sets out to accomplish. And that is that he will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. And he goes on to explain this more. This phrase indicates the removal of all things. All things. And so, we see here that this final shaking will come at the end of the age when God, in his judgment, is going to wrap up all of human history. And it begs us to consider the question 
what is it then that we are pursuing? What is it that we are investing our lives in? Because for the follower of Christ, we are to fix our eyes on that which is eternal and that which is lasting, which is why he he's talks about those things that cannot be shaken. And so the idea here that he's laying out is that we have to be careful as we continue this journey of faith, because it matters what we do when we arrive at the destination, right? But also once we go inside of the gates, it also matters what we do. Once we cross that line, once we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not like, okay, I'm just going to lie down here right inside of the entrance of the park at Yellowstone. You'll probably get mauled by a bear or something, so you don't want to do that. But, but uh, uh, it matters what we do. We want to go in and participate fully. The Christian life is not simply about saying, I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. It is about honoring Him with every moment of all we are. And we live in a world it's really hard to do that because the values, the priorities, the pursuits of the culture and the world in which we live easily rub off on us. And here the warning is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, remember. Remember that you're supposed to live for the things that cannot be shaken. Remember that you're supposed to pursue the things that reflect your connection to Christ, eternal things, worthwhile things. It's not that there are not many things in this world for us to enjoy. There are many things, but the things of this earth, are, they're passing, they're fading. Here we are at July 4th weekend, especially as a Brit up here on the platform. I'm probably going to get in trouble the next couple of minutes, but... It's good to go out tomorrow and to celebrate the freedoms that we enjoy. It's good. We should be thankful to God for them. Oh, but friends, just look through human history. This is not going to last. Kingdoms rise. Empires rise. Nations rise. And they fall. I don't know how, not standing here as a prophet, and I'm certainly not trying to make any political statements. But the reality is that whether from crumbling from the inside, being pushed into irrelevance by another nation that steps into the fore, or at the return of Christ, by being burned up and shaken and destroyed, these United States of America that are still in their very infancy will not last or endure. And that's true of other nations. And so we have to consider what do we set our hope on? Yes, we should live as the best citizens that we can now, knowing that our true citizenship is in the unshakable kingdom. Don't set your affections on what will not last. But how do we do that? How do we untangle ourselves? Well, what we see in Hebrews is the same idea. Uh, Hebrews, in the very first chapter, actually, uh, the author was quoting from the book of Psalms. It's very quickly. It says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment 
Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. What's it saying? Everything you see around us, this earth, the heavens, God is one day just going to say, that's enough. Roll it all up. Out it goes. Or as it says in Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And again, there's this idea of keep an eternal perspective because this stuff is passing. So how do we untangle ourselves from, from the, the shakable things of this world? Well, one of the ways in which we do that is to recognize that everything that we have is to be used for the glory of God and for the eternal purposes. One of the ways in which we begin to disengage a little bit from a connection, from being pulled time and time again to the pursuit of things that will not last is through generosity. When we give to the work of God, when we give to the mission of God, it helps to loosen that grip that we have on passing things. Another way in which we can loosen that grip is when we serve others selflessly. Because we realize that we're, we're, we're seeking to pour into something which is going to have an eternal significance rather than building our own kingdom. We're investing in the kingdom that we look forward to. The third way is when we keep on going back again and again and again to the promises of God. We have to keep on reminding ourselves of that which He has told us to look to. And to follow after. Just like in Second uh, 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 Peter there, it talked about the, what kind of lives then should we live? Lives that are pursuing holiness and peace. And so we might also say that we ought to, if, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we ought to make it our ambition to be conformed more to the likeness of Christ than we are to the likeness of the Joneses. You know that phrase, right, about keeping up with the Joneses? For many of us, we feel this incredible pull constantly to keep up. Whether it be because commercials on TV are telling us that, because of all of the home shows on HGTV that tell us that this is what our home should look like. Whether it be because our neighbor shows up in his brand new car and we look and we see our one that's five years old and suddenly we feel inadequate. Friends, our pursuit as those who will inherit an unshakable kingdom ought to be greater likeness to Jesus rather than greater likeness to those who are pursuing things that are fading. There's much in this passage, but for the sake of time, I need to wrap up. This passage ends with this powerful therefore statement He's saying, what do we do with this? Having arrived at the mountain, what do we do? Enter in. 
Having entered in, what do we do? Invest yourself in things for eternity. Having invested yourself in things for eternity, how do we do that? What does it look like? He says, therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks, offering acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And therefore, we're reminded, don't trifle with the God that we worship, but live before Him in thanksgiving and awe. While God has been merciful to us, while He has lavished His grace on us in Christ, as we've already talked about, He remains holy, holy, holy. And therefore, we ought to live life before Him in right recognition of who He is. We do that as we remind ourselves of the character of God and we examine what our view of God is. Do you have a view of God that is distorted after an image of what is comfortable? Do you have an image of God where, where He is just so concerned that you be happy that he has, he has delegated, he's given and even abdicated all decisions to you? Because if so, that's not the God of the Bible. Our God remains on the throne. And as we sang at the beginning of the service, he is king. He is king of the, of the nations. He is king of the universe. And he's king of you and of me. And therefore, we need to examine our view of God. We need to conduct ourselves in a daily way before Him in a manner that is like presenting worthy worship to Him. Because our worship is not just something we do on a Sunday morning for an hour. It is every moment of every part of our lives. And when we recognize that every moment of every part of our lives is to be lived for His praise and His glory, that also helps us to untangle ourselves from the things that can be shaken. Because we're, in a sense, preparing ourselves for that which is eternal. So when you go to work on, I guess, Tuesday, remember that, that what you do from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, that is a, that's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And when we gather together on a Sunday morning, yes, that's an act of worship, but it is, in a sense, an overflow of our worship from the week. And so, therefore, conduct yourself in a Faithful obedience, looking to him as your king, as your Lord, as your master, every single moment because our God is a consuming fire. The author of Hebrews has traveled a long journey with us. He's given warnings and he's reminding us, friends, wherever you may be today, be careful you don't Refuse his warning. Don't so entangle yourself to things that are shaking. Most of all, don't trifle with this God. He is not a domesticated God. He is a holy, holy, holy God. But thanks be to God 
we can approach him with joy and with boldness and with confidence and with awe. Because Jesus, our mediator and high priest, has made a way. And that is good news. It makes a difference what we do when we arrive. So what will you do in the place that you are today? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you thankful that we can enter before your presence. And that you invite us to come and to draw near because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, there is much in this passage this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each one of us in the place that we are. For those who perhaps have been like the, as if outside of the window looking in, oh God, I pray that today, by the prompting of your Holy Spirit, that they would recognize that they cannot wait or play with your warning any longer, but that today would be the day of salvation where they cry out, God, here I am. Forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my delay. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again for me. Forgive my sins. I want to follow you as my Lord and King and find my home in that heavenly kingdom of which you speak. Lord, for others of us who have known Christ and perhaps been walking with him for many years, Lord, would you untangle our hearts' affections from the things of this world and give us such a joyful love and anticipation and longing for this kingdom that we are inheriting that our full pursuit is for that which is of eternal significance. Lord, at all times in all ways, expand our vision of you. Help us to think rightly of who you are and to reverently worship you before a watching world, that they too might come to know that you, the consuming fire, are also the lover of their souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd love to invite you one more time to stand as you are able and let's respond to this word that we have received singing holy to our holy God. What a 
the beauty demands such praises. What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Come and behold Him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the Oh, uh-huh. 
much for spending this time in worship with us this morning. I pray that the Spirit has been moving in your heart, in your life. May you go from here in the power of the Spirit, knowing who you are and to whom you belong. Go in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in Him.